And welcome to the MGo Fish Podcast. I'm your host, David Arnold. With me, uh, becoming a regular here, we have Stephen Osentoski. Stephen, how's it going? How are you, man? You nailed it that time. You're getting better and better. You usually have to, you know, run it by me before the podcast yep. starts. This, this time you just ran right into it. I mentally process Petoski. Uh, for yeah. whatever reason, Petoski, then Osentoski, I'm good to go. Yeah. It works for you. It works. It works. Whatever works. I'm I'm a little slower than most. Um, <laughs> you got there. That's, that's, that's all that matters. Total, my maxion education there. <laughs> How's your play. evening going, man? Oh, it's great, man. So so, let's see, my wife is pregnant with my third daughter. You know, you know how in baseball you strike out after three pitches. Uh, three daughters. Uh, one, two, three. Three strikes. I'm out. I'm out of the game, man. Getting, that's it. Getting snipped soon. <laughs> You're like, well, that's, yeah. that's enough. You, uh, you know, you, you got what you got and calling it a day. That's right. That's I'm not Jim Harbaugh. I don't take the Harbaugh <laughs> approach to kids, to children bearing. You know, I'm looking forward to I'm 28 years old, right, Steven? So I figure we're going to have our last kid in a month from now. 18 years from now, I'll be 46. Yeah. I'm not going to have any kids living at home. They're all going to college or just not, not in my house. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to being there an early empty nester. Yeah. I'm, I'm planning it out early, but that's the my young, goal here. The young dad of the dad group during soccer games oh, and yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all the sporting events. Oh yeah. So I had to start working out so I could be, you know, the good looking dad that everyone It's like, Oh, look at him. So that's so. like the opposite of dad, like dad vibes. You gotta keep the dad bod going. <laughs> or, or is it working? Tr- out trust too? me, Steven. What, <laughs> you work, got plenty of work to do. <laughs> quote unquote, working out with kids means means just acceptable amounts of dad bod there uh, there's no there's no surpassing dad bod once you're there <laughs> w- with the actual kids no perpetual matter. state of dad bod yeah okay. it's, it's, all right but but there's like different levels you know you, you can have Fair. Yeah, yeah he obviously works out but he's still dad bod because he, <laughs> he has two kids there's no way to not yeah how but, did how did we get here that, Within two minutes, we're that, talking that's dead That's a whole bods. <laughs> different conversation. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Anyways, on this show, this episode of Dad Bods USA. <laughs> that's our next podcast. I want two podcasts now. I'm Go Fish Podcast and Dad Bods USA. That's right. Dad Bods USA. <laughs> that's a good one. Um, all right. Well, I, so I'm doing okay. My, my night is okay. My six-year-old is a little... Uh, ornery right now. That's that's Rowdy. one thing. Yeah, the other one's asleep, so that's all right. It's good. How about you? How, how's your day? How's your night? How are you? It's good. It was good. Worked from home today. Uh, plan on going to run later. Taking taking the dog on a night run. We'll see how she does. She was crazy last night, but uh, but yeah, no, it's it's going well. Just you know, chilling. It's a middle of the week evening. So what what else to do than record a podcast with? With my boy David here. That's right. That's right. Your favorite. Everyone's favorite. <laughs> Everyone's favorite. The person favorite. who doesn't shut up literally my entire <laughs> life. The story of my life. So uh, so is your dog your dog kid? You know, pe- people talk about dogs in like their, their children form. Yes. Or, or is it solidly your pet? What, what, is your, what does your lady at home think? Uh, lady. Lady's her name. And uh, I, I think she's I think she's a... Uh, She's a pet that wants to be a child, man. I, I've never seen a dog that craves attention, craves affection, uh, just tons of energy. She, uh, so yeah. I mean, it, it 
you never want to compare it to like a kid or anything because it's not it's extremely different but, but man some days it, it feels like uh you know it feels like a, a non pet and more just like this this child that i want to put in time out which it's a little different but uh but no she she's a great dog well she's a great dog. this is a story for our other podcast <laughs> cats and dogs usa i i'm solidly in the cat person Ooh. minority of the world i, I know wow. i know okay. that's the response i get from all dog people like yeah. like i think when cat when dog people tell cat people that they are dog people the response is oh okay that makes sense mm-hmm. however when, when cat people tell dog people that they're, that they're a cat person the response is like oh oh wow how, how is that possible yeah 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 i know i know i gotta say especially after having kids Sure. You, you know, the thought of having to be awake for every time my my little thing, whether it's a baby or a dog, has to go pee. Yes. yes. Highly against that. You know, yeah. once the once this last baby is out of diapers, never want to be awake for another midnight pee <laughs> until, until I'm like sixty. And then, you know, at that point it's its own thing. But Yeah, then it reverses on you. But. <laughs> yeah. But I get it. I, I love cats too. I'm not just strictly a, a dog uh dog person so it's uh it goes it goes both both for me well okay so so cats dogs cat people dog people hopefully anyone that's listening to this podcast is a michigan person first and foremost there you go and then and then cats dogs come secondary yeah. uh actually i wonder what jim harbaugh is. He, jim harbaugh is definitely a dog person right with, I... with all the kids he has yeah enthusiasm yeah, unknown pic- demand i can picture a dog just like catching a football out in the front yard, <laughs> trying to teach it how to do that and stuff. I don't know. I, I could see it. Yeah, interesting. I've, I've, he probably he doesn't have time. Let's let's face it. Yeah. Uh, anyways, we we've got some things to talk about. We are in the middle of of football camp officially, which means no news is good news. You know, and, and we've previewed the Michigan offense the, on Monday, and we're going to preview the defense next Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you guys haven't had the chance yet, uh, for the MGo Fish podcast predictions, uh, Google spreadsheet, we have a list of 11 questions uh, on predictions you can make focusing on the offense. Uh, you guys should go look that up. You can find the link on Twitter, uh, on Facebook, on the MGo Fish website. Uh, click that link, fill it out if you haven't already. We've gotten over 50 responses so far, which is pretty impressive, Stephen. Yeah. Um, so, so we're looking for more. Uh, just a, a great way to, to write those receipts so we can go ahead and check them at the end of the year and uh, <laughs> see who is the most right and who is the most wrong. Um, yeah. and, and at the and end the of the winner. The, that's, yeah, go for it. No, well, I'll just say it. at the end of the show, we'll, we'll talk about the responses we've gotten so far. But yeah, the winner, Stephen, what, what do you think we should do with the winner? we got to bring bring him or her on the podcast five minutes. Um I think they should just brag the entire time about how right they were. That's right. <laughs> no, no, you can talk about whatever you want. So for those five minutes, it's that person's five minutes. Learn a little bit about them, and uh, yeah, just talk talk Michigan football with yeah. with fans of uh, of MGo Fish. Yeah, man, woman, cat, or dog. That's right. Wins. All inclusive here. That's right. That's right. That's right. And if you're the one person who said that Michigan was not going to score 50 points at all this season in any game, Ooh. and you win. You might not get the slot on the podcast, probably because we won't be doing a podcast, honestly. <laughs> we just have quit at that point. 
Uh, so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, 50 points is a lot. So, like, you're bashing on them. Like, we, if they're correct, I feel like they still would have a chance of being on the podcast without things being ca- catastrophic. Although, we do play Rutgers every year. And if you're not scoring 50-plus <laughs> on Rutgers every year... Something might be wrong. So we, we do we'll, play. We do play Rutgers every yeah. single year, and something might be wrong if you don't score fifty on Rutgers. That exactly. is for sure. Exactly. Um, okay. So so because of that, there's there's no major injury news. Well, Ooh, let, let me back is. that up. There's yeah. there's one major injury note. Actually, let, let's get right into that, Stephen, and then we'll talk about everything else. The major thing about training camp in college football. Yeah, the two-a-days, the one-a-days, whatever it is that they have before the season opener, you do not want any injury news. You know, the yep. less the less news, the better. Unfortunately, one of our best athletes, uh, one of the best in-state athletes, you know, in, in the past couple, in the past decade or so, Ambry Thomas, um, has been announced that, that he is not even on the 105-man roster right now, which is mind-boggling. And and concerning, what's wrong with him, Stephen? Yeah, I, I forget the actual term of it. It starts with a C. All I know is it's colitis. A, colitis. There it is. Yeah, it's a uh, a colon infection, or I think it also can apply to the high intestine. So, doesn't sound fun for the uh, the bowel movements going on with Amory Thomas. Obviously, that's going to affect his weight training, uh, his ability to bulk up. Uh, to keep muscle on he's probably losing quite a bit of weight so if you're looking for a combination or a combination a comparison it's it's probably similar to mono in terms of uh, oh, what is what yeah what the effects question. what the effects probably are there um, it probably won't take as long as mono would in terms of recovery but uh, it's sounding very unlikely that he would get playing time until probably middle of the season well, so that's scary stuff. One one thing I have to say, automatically knowing what, what we know, just point blank, not even being on the roster, not even practicing at this this time of the year, I wouldn't expect any any contribution from him until at least six games into the season. Yeah. And at that at that point, honestly, you know what? If he's had this type of type of injury, a medical condition, mm-hmm. you might as well hold him out until Game eight or game nine of the season, and just redshirt him. Yeah, you know, with the, with yeah. the new with the new redshirting rules about how you can still play in four games. Hold him out until game eight, game nine. Play him in, in the remaining games, because one thing it's it's one thing to not even have the weight, the weight training, the you know, so he's not going to be in physically tip top shape until you know at least a month behind everyone else at this point. Um, I think mentally mentally not being on the field and having a medical condition like that is draining. It's like having 18 credit hours, you know, a semester yeah. in college. It's the same way where, where you're just so focused on school, so focused on the medical condition half the time, especially if it's a miserable one, like, you know, affecting your colon. I mean, right. that, that has got to be miserable. Uh, mentally, there's no way he's going to be on top of his game when it comes to studying film. You know, it's not like having a broken bone where you can sit in, in the film room and and just watch and be a student of the game. When you're doing something like that, man, that's just draining. It drains yeah. your energy as much as anything. 
I instantly when I heard that, you know, you might as well chalk it up to a lost year for him. It, it, unless, of course, he's able to come back 100% towards the end of the year. I say redshirt him. Because uh, uh, a medical condition like this also takes away, I think, a lot from the possibility of him entering the NFL draft early, which is a possibility for an athlete like that. Um, so I say take, take a redshirt, see how it goes. And, and yeah. still, as a redshirt, you can play in three four games anyway, so... Right. Yeah. I, I forgot that he played as a true freshman. Um, and yeah, he actually returned uh, some kickoffs as a freshman in 2017 as well. So, so yeah, given that he has that available to him, if it's already, you know, timeline is middle of the season. Yeah, I agree. If he can get, uh, if he can get back to just being healthy by middle of the season, then you could probably push him to getting into, uh, you know, power five level conditioning so it's like you said it's a big difference between being healthy and not sick anymore and being game ready uh so he's at a big disadvantage and he's already kind of a slight guy i feel like over his career he's been a guy who i've wanted to add weight um and you know i I think he has the frame to do so so it's definitely a uh a, a couple you know it's just a bad bad timing obviously and it's not the player who can uh, take it in stride, you know, and be like, oh, well, he had to lose weight anyways. Well, no, he's defensive back, you know. Tell you, Stephen, what is the one position group we stressed was the weakest out of all the position groups, right? I it, know. It, it's the defensive backfield. And I, I, I'm i harping on this because I do think it's an important new wrinkle in the NCAA system. Being able to have a player play four games and still redshirt, especially when you look at Michigan's schedule, where the last – Three games of the season are Michigan State, Indiana, then Ohio State. You might as well, if you can get by on the Don Brown defense, which good chance that almost everyone they play, with the exception of Penn State, I would say, everyone else but Penn State on the schedule, um, none of them have the athletes to compete. You know, one through eighty or whatever yeah. the scholarship numbers are for Michigan, one through eighty right. don't have don't have the athletes until you get to Penn State, and then. Ambry's not going to be ready for Penn State. I think we can say that. So, so save him for the Michigan State game. You know, get him on the field as much as possible. Then rest him for Indiana. Get him on the field as much as possible for Ohio State. And then you know, things break your the right way. You've got him for the conference championship game, and then et cetera, et cetera. Um, I yeah. mean, if you're if you're playing for a national title, you break the red shirt to play the national title game. <laughs> they're, they're, you you Karis Levert him, right? Yeah, Karis Levert would be the would be the apt comparison there. Right. Yeah, yeah, slight guy. You don't want to. Uh, who's you know. who's redshirt beeline burned? Exactly for, for the national championship run in 2013. Yeah, which ended up being a good decision considering he left early. Anyways, yeah, exactly. Draft, so, but I think it also depends on how uh, the rest of the room shakes out because, yeah. like you said, it it's if you don't hear anything, it's generally a good thing. But at a position like cornerback. Um, when you hear multiple names over and over again without like a singular name popping up, yeah. uh, then it's also like cause for concern for like the backups, right? So like you hear Vincent Gray, uh, you hear like shades of um, DJ Turner, the true freshman, but you don't hear like one guy stepping up. They're just kind of mentioned in passing or they're all kind of competing. So that shows that no one's really pulling away. So in terms of like, do you stress for Ambry Thomas to come back? Well, it, it, it depends. If one of these guys aren't stepping up, 
um, you know, with a couple weeks before the season, then yeah, it's looking like you, you need to stress that recovery and, and try to accelerate that as quickly as possible. Cause right now it doesn't seem like there's, there's a, a person who's stepping up. So, so one thing to think about this, I think is the first year that Don Brown's defense has really, th- this is post the 62 point Ohio state game slash mm-hmm. slash Dan Mullins, Florida ripping us apart in a yeah. bowl game. Those are two of the best offensive mind minded coaches, you know, coaching coach teams in the nation yep. Dan Mullen and Urban Meyer obviously coaching tree but also Ryan Day you know Ryan Day and Dan Mullen both Urban Meyer coaching trees right there yep this is you know Don Brown's defenses had been scored on before it had happened but not to that to the extreme of those last two games of the season yeah so this is the first year where a definitive game plan has been formed and succeeded on you know by two consecutive coaches in two consecutive games yeah. So this year, this year, I think we're going to see every single team, with the exception of Army, game plan. No, no, no one's going to have the athletes of Ohio State, but, but everyone's going to game plan a similar game plan of of short route, short route, short route, cross crossing route, crossing route, crossing route. They're going to test Don Brown's short to middle range passing like we've never seen before, like like we've never seen, and so the defensive backfield. Out of all years, this is the year where where Don Brown's defensive theory, you know, theory of the case, is really going to be tested. Yeah. Um, so it yeah. sucks. It sucks that Avery Thomas isn't there. And I did not plan on opening the show with this, uh, although mm-hmm. I guess we opened the show on dad bods and cats and dogs. Really, <laughs> all but, over the place. Well, here we are. That is that is the most concerning thing for me. Is this yeah. is this is the year of Don Brown's career. Don Brown has had a historic. Hall of Fame career in the Northeast. You know, the SEC never heard of him before the past three, four years, but really he's had a Hall of Fame career. Um, this is the first year where where his theory of the football defense has really is really going to be put to a test. And really we're going to see if Don Brown can keep up with the times or if he's being passed by the times. And I think there's a very real possibility it could be either. Because if you look, especially in the RPO era that we're in, so you know we went from traditional football to the Rich Rod spread offense era of 04 to 09. Then then the Urban Meyer era, which I would say was 09 to 2015. Mm-hmm. And then the 2015 to present, which is the Joe Moorhead RPO style offensive system. right? So I think those are the three major offensive shifts, evolutions of the past 15 to 20 years, and we're sadly in the RPO. Don Brown's defense has been magically amazing versus, you know, every offense up until this new RPO passing first quarterback with with wheels. We've seen a lot of of top coordinators and coaches in college football be passed by the times, especially in the last five years. You know, I'm thinking Mm -hmm. of like the Mac Browns. You, You know, to an and it's hyper escalated to to the Mike Stoops, you know the defense coordinator from Oklahoma who got fired halfway through last year. A lot of old school coaches could not keep up with the times, especially right. in the last three four years. So it's going to be interesting to me to see if Don Brown's defense can adjust and adapt. I, I believe in him. We should believe in him. There's no reason not to believe in him. But there's a very real chance that something could go wrong this year. We should at yeah. least know about it. 
Well, I think a couple things. You you saw 2017 where uh, Barkley and McSorley of Penn State just totally tore apart Don Brown's defense. Well, and that's that's the Moorhead the Moorhead RPO system, True. which I mean, it's why we hired Josh Gaddis, right? Go yeah. ahead, continue. Yeah, it was a shell of of that in 2018. Obviously, uh, they no longer had the offensive minds there, but uh, they ran a lot. Or the quad Barkley. Yeah, matter. exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, you had Sanders. Uh, uh, you're, also, you're right. No, go ahead. Go he's ahead. also good, but a lot of the same concepts were there. Um, they didn't have as many wrinkles that, you know, a, a really good offensive coordinator uh, that they had in 2017, you know, would, you know, would have continued into 2018 for sure. But, uh, you know, Don Brown showed that he paid attention to that game, uh, stuck with him, and he reversed the the tides quite a bit there in 2018 just blew them out of the water Penn state at the big house. So, um, you know, I think that shows that there are deficiencies by nature of an aggressive offense. There's, there's teams that can, uh, find ways to pick it apart and use the aggressiveness against it. And, you know, we saw that at the tail end of 2018. So, you know, given how he responded to, uh, the first really big blowout in Penn State in 2017. I think he'll have better answers for 2018 or from the 2018 lessons he learned from OSU and uh, the bowl game. My main concern, and I'm bringing up like way old Don Brown stuff. When I Do watched, it. when Be- I watched, we're going to talk baseball strategy right now. Aren't you? No, no, unfortunately not. But when when Don Brown was initially hired, I watched every single game. Uh, every single defensive snap I could of Boston College. I'm so sorry. Uh, that, that, from that, that, be, that beats the UConn era, Don Brown, which yeah. I'm so sorry. Anyways, yeah. continue. And his defense in, at Boston College the year before he left was still, it was the top defense was. from SD. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was amazing. And the main game, main the game. Florida State I, game. Uh, what's that? Are, are you going to talk about the Florida State game? No, I think it was an Ole Miss game okay. where the thing that stood out is against the run, or no, it might have been Florida State. I think you're right, the Florida State game where against the run, Boston College just decimated them. They just absolutely demolished them. The main difference and the thing that there was no answer for was simply the athletes Florida State had at the wide receiver position. And what can you do when you're man-to-man, one-on-one on the outside? Uh, to to make that up, right? Like there there are things you can do. You can play zone within a man scheme, throw some wrinkles with your safeties in the middle of the field for crossing routes. I feel like there are ways to combat what we saw from OSU that he was simply behind on, or uh, you know just simply didn't do well. But on outside receivers with your first and second cornerbacks, yeah. they need to be locked in. And that's something that Michigan's had the past couple of years. That's that's the one thing we potentially do not have this year. That's why I'm scared, man. Boston College, the number one thing that they would have won that game with a Jordan Lewis or with just one more good corner. I think they had one good corner, but they got picked on on the outside. And when you're on an island out there, that's the most important position to have talent in a Don Brown defense. You could say safety, and I probably wouldn't disagree with you either, um, but in order to cover deficiencies, there is no covering the deficiency on the outside for cornerbacks. So he, here's the one thing. There there are coaches that 
are the t- and and typically you see this as head coaches in any sport, but not so much the coordinators. But I think Don Brown is is the special exception to that rule. Where you, you can judge this. There are coaches and coordinators that can build you up to to go from average to or below average to to average above average to great to almost elite. I I think of Buck Showalter as the ultimate sports example of this. And this is going to take a minute with the crossover here. But Buck Showalter, <laughs> he took the New York Yankees in the early 90s from, from miserable to a playoff team. They got fired. Joe Torre took over and won three, four World Series in the 90s. And then whatever Joe Torre did. Then Buck Showalter took over the Arizona Diamondbacks, took them from expansion team to almost playoff team. Uh, he gets fired. That same year after he gets fired, Bob Brenly takes him to win a World Series. He took over the Baltimore Orioles, who are the worst team in baseball. And he took them from an almost playoff team, and then the next manager got them to be a playoff team. So there are coaches that take you from average to great, and then there are coaches that take you from great to elite. Don Brown's system, you are so right. You hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, Don Brown's defense is set up to... And it's really set up to accommodate below average talent to make them average or above average. In the same way that the spread offense came in in the early 2000s and took, you know, smaller, below elite level athletes and made them into elite offenses. Pat White, for example. Pat White is the perfect offensive example of a guy who was completely average and Rich Rod took him to, to an almost elite level. You know, Don Brown does that with defenses in a lot of ways. Yep. In a lot of ways, he's the Rich Rod of defenses, mm-hmm. which I mean that in a way more positive. Like, Rich Rod just stayed as an offense coordinator, probably yeah. being a lot more, you know, heralded light yes, as yes. is. So, so Don Brown's defenses are great up until, I mean, like, unstoppably great. You know, like like mm-hmm. top five great until you face the super elite. And what is Michigan trying to do right now? Michigan's trying to break into the super elite. You know, we're knocking on the door. Fifth most wins in the last five years. You know, literally, if Michigan did not play Ohio State at the very end of the season, they'd probably be in the college football playoff at least two of the last five years. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, at least two of the last five years, Michigan would be in the playoff. Except for they play a super elite team. That super elite team is the gatekeeper to Michigan's playoff run. Right, yeah. they always will be. There's, there's never going right. to be a time when Ohio State will not be the gatekeeper to Michigan breaking through that wall. Right. And yeah. and, and I'm sorry. One more thing. Bud, no, go for it. Bud Elliott just had an. You know, he's got his recruiting chart ratio. They just did a thing with Stephen Godfrey on PAPN, and Ohio State outranks, outpaces uh, Alabama. When it yeah. comes to quality recruiting, I mean, they just do. They're just always going to be there. They have the greatest advantage in all of college football. They can recruit like an SEC school and play a Big Ten schedule. The yep. greatest advantage in college football. Yep. So. Yeah, and, and I think you're right about Don Brown making the most of or, or creating a system that um, that makes up for a lack of talent, which. It, it works because, and I love this quote, is from the Amazon documentary a couple years ago uh, where he says, solve your problems with aggression. And that's it. If you're aggressive, if you're attacking, you can go flat out 
at your assignment, you don't need to be reactionary. If you are being aggressive on blitzes, you're doing blitzes more often than not. What takes the most athleticism? Reacting. Reacting to things from, you know, think of a defensive back. If you're reacting to a route, that takes a lot of athleticism given how athletic that wide receiver could be. It's dependent. You're adding a dependency of your performance based on how good that offensive player is. If you replace that with aggression, you it doesn't matter what the other team is doing. You have your assignment, you're being aggressive, and you can utilize, you can form a scheme around that. The only areas where you see Michigan falling behind is when they're reactionary, when the other team is ahead schematically, um, you know, and forcing the defense to be reactionary. That's what the RPO is all about. And that's what the entire position of defensive back is. So at, at least at the cornerback position, I think I, I think it's going to be the scariest and we're going to see the most uh, it, with Amory Thomas out for sure. I think you're going to see the most big plays on the outside you've seen in a long time. And I think it's going to really be scary because Michigan fans, when's the last time we haven't had two NFL caliber cornerbacks? It's been probably five years. Well, yeah, and and even then we had Blake Count, Blake Countess and Jordan Lewis, which at the time we didn't realize Jordan Lewis was going to be what he was. And actually, Blake Countess ended up being way overrated in comparison to his reality. Right. Well, mm. I mean, really, if you think about it, freshman Blake Countess. Was the guy he's who good. He, was the guy who intercepted Braxton Miller's uh, pass to last time we beat Ohio State, and I thought Blake Connors was going to be the next great cornerback, right? yeah. and, and then he did not end up being that guy for injuries, for work. I mean, for for whatever number of reasons. I think and, schemat- schematically too. I think yeah. he was better in in one system versus I forget. I think he struggled in man to man versus zone. I think he was more of a pure zone corner. So he just uh, than anything he, else. he didn't end up being the athlete we thought he was going to be. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then, but Jordan Lewis ended up being impossibly amazing. So you're right. You're right. We we have not seen Don Brown create a Michigan defense without top tier elite athletes. The one thing I will say though, I'll take a backup Michigan defensive back over a starting Boston College back. Just, just blindly make me choose one or the other without knowing who they are, whatever. So like, this guy started for Boston College for one year. This guy's backed up Michigan's yeah. defense backfield for two years. Who are you going to take? I want to take the Michigan backup yeah. nine out of ten times, right? There's a chance. I mean, there's always a chance. Boston College creates NFL prospects, but not not, yeah. not at half the rate Michigan does. No. So I will, I will say Tom Brown knows what he's doing, right? So Yeah, he does. But but his game plan has been exposed, I think, a little bit by the evolution of college football, where where you've got, you've truly got the impossible situation of having Mike Vick, Madden two thousand four level runners, who are also matching the passing abilities of your above average all conference passing quarterback. Right. Yep. right. I mean, like the Kyler Murrays of the world, Dwayne Haskins for whatever it's worth, was a pass-first guy who could not run. Like, the, right. the worst runner you've ever seen, and he tore right. us up. The one the one hope about the Ohio State game, right? I, yep. Okay, Stephen, are you in the camp? I We do not need to talk about this. This is super Colin Cowherdy, but I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> Skip Bailey. Would you rather Michigan go 6-6 six and six and, six and six and beat Ohio State or 11-1 and one and lose to Ohio State? Nah, man, you're going 11 and one. I don't care if you, if every honestly, I would choose 11 
and one forever losing to Ohio State okay, what, what, over what, forever six and six. What what are the what is the number of wins where you accept the Michigan the Ohio State loss? Eight and four, but lost to Ohio State. Nine and three. I mean, I'm sorry. Not eight and four, but beat Ohio State. Nine and three, beat Ohio State. For me, it's eight and four, beat Ohio State. I'm. I think I'd be okay with it at this point. Yeah, that that's tougher, man. That's tough. I I think so. If it's like one or two games, because yeah, there's a big difference between eleven and one. Because at that point, you're still in the hunt. Like you know, you yeah, you could right. still get Big Ten title. You could still do that at eight and four. Even at nine and three, I would still, I think, choose nine and three because six and six is bad, man. That's like, yeah, okay. I okay. mean, it's not, it's not three and nine, you okay. know, but it's still. Uh, I think, I think I'm settling on. I would take nine and three, but beat Ohio State over eleven and one with that one loss coming to Ohio State, because because the narrative of the off season, which let's be honest, is all that matters really in college football. I mean, we love the season, we love the end game season, but. Yeah. But the end game season is one fifth, one sixth of the actual year. Yeah, I mean, so, so the main yeah. narrative develops from a calendar year over your recruiting class and the the end of the season. And, and that's the thing. Jim Harbaugh is great up until the last week of the season, plus a bowl game, right? He's he's finished terribly, but he started strong in every single year at Michigan, and that's a. Ohio State went 11 and 1, 13 and 1 including the bowl game and conference championship game. And the entire season it felt like Ohio State sucked. Yeah. Right? Like it felt like they stunk. They were terrible the entire year and they ended up 13 and 1. Like what does it matter at that point, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I think I think I tweeted out a theory about <clears throat> Ohio State um versus Michigan and bear with me it'll take 2 minutes. That's here. all right. We, we need the th- we need all the theories we can get at this point in time. So Ohio State takes the entire season pass fail and Michigan is their one major think of like a weeder class for their, for their degree. It's, it is their thesis. Okay. Michigan takes every single, every single class for a letter grade and treats them all with the same uh, amount of attention. They take all their electives, all their majors, uh, their thesis with the same amount of energy. They distribute their time evenly. So that's why you have Ohio State playing these crazy-ass games against Maryland. You know, the week before Michigan, they went to like, was a double, triple overtime with Maryland. Can we talk about Michigan State game where the punter was the MVP of the game? Yeah, 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 ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and then you have them just getting blown out by Purdue. Like those are games that you don't see against Michigan. Michigan beats the teams they should, and then they, they play closer games generally against the top ten teams or struggle. And I think the issue, and I don't even know if it's necessarily an issue. It's just a, a difference of approach. I think Ohio State spends eons more time on Michigan and game planning for that last game of the regular season than Michigan does. They, they treat that class they're that game as the season and Michigan treats every week uh, like with the same amount of importance. And I think that's why there's such a big difference that the, the stress of importance on Michigan is much greater than Michigan's importance on Ohio State. I think it's Jim Harbaugh, uh, and, and I think it aligns with Jim Harbaugh's approach to the NFL. 
that's it's dumb. You would never do that in the NFL. You're you're an idiot if you don't game plan every week because it's the same, right? right. Because there right. aren't there are I mean there are rivalries. Right. Every win means the same. Yeah, in the NFL. exactly. Right. And every win in college does not mean the same. And that's what keeps that's what what frankly keeps you your job is beating your rivals, and you. I think it's a, a fault in Jim Harbaugh. You cannot treat each week the same. And you flirt with that line of struggling with the Purdue's of the world, a, a very prepared Maryland, uh, you know, team. Which You'll they those... will be very prepared this year. Yeah. Uh, exactly. If there is one game circled on Maryland's schedule, it is not Penn State this season. Yeah, right. it, is it is Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, so, Josh like, Gattis. Thank you. Exactly. So I think it's, yeah, I think that's kind of how I theorize Michigan struggles and how Ohio State can look terrible all season and then just look like the best team that has ever shown up in college football, uh, like from one week to the next. And that theory was brought to you by an actual Michigan alum, uh, <laughs> which makes sense that uh, at first, you had me crossing wires. There. I was like, "Where is he going with this?" It makes sense. It makes sense, especially the Harbaugh NFL point. That's very interesting. Yeah. You know, one thing I have to say: Harbaugh and Urban Meyer are the same age, yeah. right? And so I think people like to compare them a lot. One thing with me, I like to point out: Urban Meyer spent his youth. You know, as soon as he turned eighteen, he went to college. Uh, he played football at Cincinnati. As soon as he was done at Cincinnati, he entered his coaching profession as a football coach. Started out yep. as a graduate assistant, you know, Notre Dame, et cetera, et cetera. He spent, you know, a good part of 20 years learning and becoming a college football head coach. You know, if you want to be an expert at anything, it's what, 10,000 hours? That's that's the oh yeah quote-unquote number. Urban yep. Meyer spent those 10,000 hours becoming you know, a college head football coach. Jim Harbaugh spent those 10,000 hours in between his, you know, 22nd year of life to probably close to his 40th year of life being a NFL quarterback, right? So so right. Jim Harbaugh was focused on NFL game plans as a quarterback while Urban Meyer was focused on being a college coach. Right. So, so when Urban Meyer became a head coach, 2003, Jim Harbaugh was ending his NFL career and was a quarterback's coach for the Oakland Raiders. So Jim Harbaugh had a solid 25 years where he was focused on the NFL while Urban Meyer was focused on being a college head coach. So Jim Harbaugh has been playing catch up, you know, for the past 10 years, even since he became a Stanford, you know, San Diego, then Stanford head coach, he's still playing catch up. And I think you're seeing that come to fruition with him accepting, accepting the fact that he's not going to be the main playing caller anymore mm -hmm. and and taking a seat back and being like look urban meyer ran the ohio state program as a ceo for all the flack we gave him i don't think he had as much of a role in the game to game game plan after his heart attack as after his heart attack so so nick saban has succeeded and thrived in the ceo role Debo sweeney yep. has thrived in the ceo role so Jim Harbaugh has been a play caller, and that's his nature. That's his passion. He's a yep. great play caller. He's a he's a fantastic play caller. I mean, I mean, gripes aside, he's a fantastic play caller. For him to be like, okay, look, if I really want to be a Michigan head coach, and this is the biggest tell that he doesn't want to go to the NFL right away, that he's he's set on being Bo Schembechler, which I think is his personal dream and goal. He grew up idolizing yep. him. 
he realizes if I really want to be at Michigan and be Bo Beckler and have a winning record against Ohio State one day, I have to accept and evolve and do what these yeah. other guys have done. He just hasn't had the chance at the college level to evolve like Urban Meyer did, like Nick Saban did, these college football lifers. You know, all these guys, Nick Saban struggled and stunk in the NFL as a head coach because he wasn't an NFL lifer. You know, he's not been a Bill Belichick, even though he had experience on Bill Belichick's staff. He's a college football lifer. That's who he is. So Jim Harbaugh has had to make that transition because really he's the guy who's most split the time in between the NFL and college football more than any other coach. Yeah. So so he's still learning. At the same time, he develops NFL talent, which is important. Right. So, well, so that's what yeah. it is. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting point about talking about them as the CEO. Think about Jim Harbaugh. He wears cleats, right? He's participating in drills. He spent, you mentioned it, a good part of his career he was behind because he was an actual quarterback. He's leading the offense on the field. He, you know, he's a participant in the game. He didn't spend all that time just coaching. So I, I think there's such a strong uh, desire for him to participate. And that that drives him more to call plays, to have more of a role in participating in the game plan, have his foot more in more in the door than just hiring and managing people. He wants to be a part of the actual game. And I think you're right that it's showing that he's, he's learning that your job, if you are a top tier coach is attracting the best talent, both players and coaches. And uh, a lot of it is rising talent and uh, you know, effective distribution of your time and identifying the correct people. So like you said, instead of being a, uh, you know, a, a pseudo coordinator, you really have to be a CEO and, and, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's tough too, cause it takes a lot of your pride away. You know, if you're, if you're playing football all the time, you want to be able to win the game. Ding, ding, and, ding. You nailed it on the head there. It, taking the pride. Harbaugh is a very prideful man Yeah, and, and seeing him take the step back to, to give Gaddis the reins on the offense. It's a pride thing. And it is a pride. Harbaugh is, is such a pride guy. I mean, yeah. you got a guy running with fullbacks half the time right. in, in a landscape where there's no fullbacks at all, right? I mean, I mean, Joe Carriage, you know, drafted as a fullback in a NFL where there's no fullbacks, right? So right. that's right. Keep on going. Keep on going. But yeah, uh, yeah totally right. Totally right. Yeah. And you think as a quarterback, what, what does he want to do every single game of the NFL? He wants to win the game. He wants to win the game. What is a what is a CEO or a, you know, these new, you know, the new model of coach, you could say, of the CEO coach? What do they want to do? They want to keep their job. They want yeah. to keep their job. Yeah. And, and what is keeping your job about? It's about not making mistakes during the big presentation. Hashtag you know? late stage capitalism comes to college football. <laughs> there is, go ahead, go ahead. But like you, you don't, you don't want to lose your job. You identify, you know, what do people care about the most? What do, what are people most paying attention to in my workspace in Ohio state, Michigan world? That's Ohio state and Michigan. That's not Ohio state versus Purdue. So what am I going to allocate my resources to? And for Ohio State, they figured out I'm going to spend X amount of time, which is, you know, that's their currency in this, I guess, analogy. They're going to spend all of their time on Michigan or at least a 
greater proportion of it to ensure that the thing that people are most paying attention to, the people, the fans, the supporters care most about is accomplished. And they've done that. And to take yourself away as from being in that player mentality of winning every game, of giving it your all on every single down, you, you have to shift that. Because like, like you said, you're no longer the player, you're the CEO, and all the steps that he's taken has proven that he's willing to to put that aside and adopt to that new model. Totally. It, Pride, Harbaugh, Gaddis, new model. Those are all things we yep, need, it all adds up now. We needed to hear five years into the Michigan experience. Right? Because if if Jim Harbaugh was sticking to his pride and not letting his pride get the best of him, this is that is the one thing that could take Jim Harbaugh down. And and yeah. in fairness has take I think I think we could all agree on has taken him down from previous positions, from previous jobs. One thing that has made Jim Harbaugh the man who he is the great coach he is, is his pride. You yeah. think you think of the handshake kerfuffles? Yeah, what's your deal with, with Pete Carroll? You know, what's your deal with, with um Jim Schwartz in Detroit? You know, the handshake yeah. situation, the the kerfuffles with the ownership in San Francisco that ultimately brought Jim Harbaugh to Michigan, you know, probably had a big big play in it, big say in it. Um it's his pride that has held him back. From yeah. be, from being the guy he needs to be, but it's also the thing that has propelled him to be the quarterback he is. You know, to go from a borderline walk on to Rose Bowl starting quarterback at Michigan, to be the guy who who the media says, "Hey, are you guys going to beat Ohio State as a senior?" He's like, "Hell yeah, we're going to beat Ohio State." You know, to make yep. that promise as a player, that those are the things that has made Jim Harbaugh great, and and so the fact that we're seeing a more mature level Jim Harbaugh as a head coach at Michigan is the type of thing we needed to see. We did not know if we were going to see or not. You know, the mm-hmm. thing we're not, we didn't know. Yeah, nailed that, Stephen. Adaptability uh, is like all we were talking about, about Don Brown. Well, adaptability um, is the best type that's of That's number ability, one, man. Right, yeah. That's it. That's it. That's what you need. And, and uh, yeah, that, it's promising. But we got to gotta see it through. Uh, ben Golliver from the Open Floor Podcast on Sports Illustrated has a, has a saying. It says, availability is the best ability. Um, and I, I think that might be true in basketball, but adaptability is the best ability when it comes to college football. Yeah. Nail I feel like it's, it just evolves, it evolves so quickly. If you're not adapting to your schemes, but also how you're operating as a program, um, I don't know, it feels like the, the space is – the whole landscape of college football is changing so much in a ton of different aspects. It's, it's, if you're not, if not adaptable, we've seen, uh, we've seen former Michigan coaches just kind of, uh, you know, dissolve into, into nowhere really. So yeah, yeah. it's, it's the Bob Stoops and Lloyd Carr syndrome. And what we're talking about with with the RPO evolving, some coaches cannot keep up with the spread offense. Yep adapting and and a lot more coaches have not been able to keep up with the rpo mm-hmm. so we'll see how that goes all right steven i did not expect this podcast to go this way but i'm happy with it we're 45 minutes in yeah so let's go ahead and talk i'm, I'm going to ask you a few questions about the uh offensive predictions spreadsheet oh, the fi- okay. the 55 ish responses we've gotten so far 
Um, I want you to guess, not your own opinion, but what you think the 55 responses have sided with so far. Uh, and I'm going to give you percentages and what they choose, and then we're going to wrap up the podcast. Uh, so, so far, the first question, Shea Patterson over or under 350 yards rushing in 2019. The, the options were A, more than 355, B, fewer than 300, uh, fewer than 350, or C, um, fewer than 350. Uh, and I think Dylan will get the most rushing yards at quarterback. So, so more than, fewer than, or I guess one person said fewer than 350. I think Dylan will get the most rushing yards. <laughs> so, so I just realized that was one person that, that wrote that in. So I like that. Um, okay. What is the percentage of the uh, more than versus the fewer than? Okay, one side's one side is at seventy three percent, and the other side is at twenty five percent. So, I'm thinking because everyone's buying in to Josh Gaddis, they got to predict over three hundred fifty. I am shocked that the percentage. What was it? Seventy something percent. Yeah, yeah, seventy three percent said over three hundred fifty yards rushing for Shea Patterson, which I I guess I am kind of shocked. By that number, but at the same time, I think people are so excited for the Josh Gass system. And when you think about Trace McSorley, I think that is the comparison people are going to come up with. Whether it's apt or not, I think Shea might be be a better passer, might be a pass-first guy as compared to Trace McSorley. Baseball player, athlete first, pass for second. Yep. Um, but I think people will see that and they say, hey, Shea is going to run for more than 350 yards. It's just going to be a given. Yeah. Uh, maybe people are just just itching for the Rich Rod style offense that we never really <laughs> got to see come to fruition. Uh, you know, like a, uh, just dreaming of Denard. Possibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, it makes sense. Next question: Who was going to have the most rushing touchdowns for Michigan in 2019? Here's the thing. Here's the thing, uh, Stephen. The lead vote getter of who had the most rushing touchdowns got 38.6 percent of the vote. The mm. second most, per, the second highest vote getter got thirty one percent, thirty two percent almost round up. Third person got twenty two point seven percent. Wow, that's pretty split. It is very split, very split. Interesting. And and actually, the person I thought was not in the top three vote getters. Very disappointing. So. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So so I I kind of gave that part away. Who do yeah, you yeah. think who do you think was voted at thirty eight point six thirty nine percent for who will have the most rushing touchdowns? It's it's got to be it's got to be Charbonnet. Ding ding ding! It is Charbonnet. It is Charbonnet. Yeah. Thirty eight percent. People are on the t- people are on the train, man. Like literally what Harbaugh said, the train is rolling. That's right. Zach well, Charbonnet. So so mildly in front of True Wilson, who got 32% of the vote. Mm-hmm. So, so you're at 39 to 32% of the vote. And then at 23% of the vote was Christian Turner, which shocked me. I couldn't believe that Interesting. Uh, only 5% of people voted Ben Mason and, and 23% of people voted Christian Turner. So people have more wow. faith in the potential third back. I guess maybe people just have faith in Christian Turner as a, as a prospect. Yeah, yeah. So, I liked what I I liked what I saw from him. He's got a lot of promise. Um, I'm surprised. Yeah, I'm surprised Ben Mason was that low. I'm telling um, you, I, if if I'm a betting man in Vegas, 
I mean, Ben Ben Mason is gold because he's the only proven. I guess even though he's playing yeah. a defensive tackle, right? Yeah, but but still, he's the only proven. And then you're just splitting hairs when you, when you really think about the the running backs, right? Because yep. you just you just don't know, you just don't know. Right. Shea Patterson, zero votes out of fifty five so far. So that is that is quite interesting hmm. to me. Okay, next question. Who had the most yards per catch in 2019 with a minimum of 10 receptions? Uh, the leading vote-getter got 52% of the vote. 52. Uh, 50, 52. This is one of the most lopsided that we have. I think this is the most lopsided, actually. 52%. And then the second-place guy got 18%. So, Holy cow. Steven, who do you think the people think is going to have the most yards per catch in 2019? Man. Nico Nico Collins followed by DPJ. Ding ding ding! Right on the money. I thought you were gonna say DPJ. I I think I would have guessed Donovan Peoples Jones would have been the most likely vote getter. Yeah, it was the spring injury. I think that's got people worried about him. Uh, Yeah, it must. And you know, third place is Ronnie Bell. At at fourteen percent of people have said Ronnie Bell. Wow, Uh, Tariq Black is severely underrated. I would. so, I would put some money on him there. So Ronnie Bell got thirteen point or fourteen percent of the vote, and Treek Black got eleven percent of the vote. Mm-hmm. So so Treek Black definitely, I would definitely money on Tariq would be, he would be the Vegas choice for sure. Yeah. What about other? Did anyone put a uh, Giles Jackson? <laughs> You're gonna love this, Giles Jackson. Um, <laughs> severely, severely underrated by everyone in this. In, wow. in this survey so far, and we'll get to that. You you might have been his only vote actually oh, man. <laughs> for anything. Oh, um, no. Yeah, he he definitely. There were no other votes so far out of fifty five, which fifty five oh. is pretty decent survey, I'd say. I'd yeah. say that's a pretty decent sample size of Michigan's fan base. Uh, Saren still did get five percent of the vote. Okay, not nothing. It's, it's something. Yeah. Um, no no Sean McKeon and no other. Okay. Here's the thing. Next question. I already tipped my hand a little bit. Which true yeah. freshman will get the most touches on offense in 2019? The leading. Okay. The, wait, Let me guess. No, wait, Let wait, me wait, guess. Wait, wait. The leading vote getter got 52% of the vote, and the the second place vote getter got 41% of the vote. So 52 okay. and 41. So that's 93%. Yeah. So go ahead and make your guesses. I I was gonna guess the percentages. I was gonna oh. say Zach Charbonnet is gonna be leading just because people think he's going to be the uh runaway running back you should have cut me off steven i talked to him no you're okay you're okay and then uh it's got to be giles jackson i guess number two not even close not even close saint ristol saint ristol got 40 percent 41 percent of the vote giles jackson got one vote for the most what? touches on offense. Was that you? Did you literally, were you the one person that voted Giles Jackson will get the most touches on offense? No, I think I, I put Zach Charbonnet, I think. But in, I, in, I would have put Jackson second. Wow, people are in really... In fact, other, other had 5% of the vote where Saren still had 2% of the vote. Other. Wow. I don't, I don't know who other could be, honestly. But, uh, blown away. Because we had Charbonnet, Giles Jackson, Saren Still, Sandra Still, and Eric All as the four top choices. Who who's the other true freshman that could get that got five percent of the vote? 
I don't know. Maybe they <laughs> think Dax Hill is just going to intercept everything. Yeah, I, th- I think we're going to some troll, maybe at least a few trolls. Maybe. maybe. Uh, okay, next question. Uh, this was this was the gimme of the group. Who will establish themselves as the second best tight end on Michigan's roster? 89% of the vote went to... Nick Eubanks. Yeah, Nick Eubanks. That was a pretty easy one. Uh, who? So the second and third place, 7% went to one... Five percent went to the other. Who is the second leading vote getter? Uh, Mustafa Muhammad. Wrong, Eric Hall. Wow. Eric Hall so far. Eric Hall, seven percent of the vote. Mustafa Not Muhammad, five percent. Yeah, yeah, that's where Shoemaker. No, no love for the slow cement bricked white, white <laughs> tight end there. That's all right. That's that's how it how it ends up for the tight ends there. That's all right. Go for. He'll the have end. his time. That's right. That's right. As always. Uh, in the Harbaugh system. All right. Yeah. Next question. Maybe the most surprisingly diverse so far of the 55. Shea Patterson will throw for more or fewer than seven interceptions in 2019. Um, okay. Do you, I'm going to guess the percentage the, okay, let's yeah, go. Who, for each of them. What percentage said, oh, who do you think got the majority vote first off? More than, fewer than, or exactly seven interceptions? And people are optimists. I'm going to say fewer than. Wrong, actually. Wow. More people said Shea will throw for more than seven interceptions. Wow. So what percentage said that Shea will throw for more than seven interceptions in 2019? I'm going to say 62%. It's actually pretty, pretty spread out, split up. 46% of people said Shea will throw for more than seven interceptions in 2019. Okay. 30, then, 34% yeah, said Shea will throw for fewer than seven interceptions. And that meant twenty exactly 21% of people said Shea will throw for exactly seven interceptions in 2019. That shows it's a good line. You, sh- you, you chose a good line right there. That's if you right. get 20% of people putting it exactly on seven yeah between that and actually i'm feeling like a pretty good vegas spread line guy right now because, <laughs> because i'm looking at these options and i think i've getting pretty good ratios besides the tight end one uh that's okay. not bad yeah Pat not, yourself on the back there man not bad this one <laughs> this one one of the more surprising ones we're getting towards the end here okay Steven, Dill McCaffrey and Joe Milton will combine for over or under 50 pass attempts in 2019. They combined for a total of 19 in last year. However, yeah. this year, what percentage do you think they said uh, will go over and under 50 pass attempts? Uh, it's got to be over. It's got to be over. It is over. You're right. Okay. What percentage said the backup quarterbacks will go for over 50 pass attempts? Um, seventy-two percent. No, talk about that Vegas line, baby. I got that Vegas line thing figured out, man. Fifty-seven percent of people. Oh wow! Said the backups will go over fifty pass attempts. So forty-three percent of people said the backups will have under fifty pass attempts. Zero people have said exactly fifty pass attempts. Interesting. Yeah, so okay. a fifty-seven forty-three split, I think, also shows that maybe. Maybe that was a good line. Yeah, maybe you got a future in some in some 
line creation yeah, in Vegas, yeah. man. Being, Pack your bags. Being in law school right now, sports <laughs> gambling just became legalized. Yeah. So it sounds like the MGO Fish uh, betting pool here is the place to be. All right. So, All right, you're you're in charge of the legislation around that's right, that's right. it'll be a little shaky. I'm well, sure it's going to be a few years as well. So you got to figure out how it's legal and it don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, last regular or second to last regular question, and we're going to wrap up here with some rapid fire. Uh, wrap it up. Which Michigan offense line? Or oh, let me say again. Will the Michigan offense line improve on their 1.8 sacks allowed per game in 2019? So, will they give up fewer than 1.8 sacks per game or more than 1.8 sacks per game this year? Uh, which one um, do you think received the most support? I'm going to say fewer. Correct. At, again, I think this is probably pretty close. Uh, 65%. Well, this is one of the lines I got to work on, maybe. Uh, 82% of people said wow. Michigan will give up fewer than 1.8 sacks per game. Wow. 16% of people said Michigan will give up more than, and then, uh, 3% of people said Michigan will give up exactly 1.8 sacks per game. That's this, that's probably the one I would disagree with the most from people. Yeah. Same, same here. Same here. Cause 1.8 is pretty good. But so it, it's indicative of how. For the first time in a long time, we've talked about that. First time in a long time, people are excited about the offensive line, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay, I think I think this is the the most fun question out of all of them. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna preface this with with a few different propositions. Against which teams will Michigan score 50 points in 2019? So, here's my first question for you, Stephen. Mm-hmm. I think it's no surprise that middle Tennessee and Rutgers are the top of <laughs> the, are the top getters. Um, who did Michigan's fan, Michigan fans say, let me rephrase that. Which who, team wh- which did they team, predict? Which team did they predict would score more than 50 points? Uh, Michigan scored more than 50 points against who, who is the favorite between middle yes. Tennessee state and Rutgers? It's got to be Rutgers, man. It's got to be. Well, let me tell you what. Out of the responses, 42 have said that Michigan will score 50 points on Rutgers. <laughs> 41 have said that Michigan will yes. score 50 points on Middle Tennessee <laughs> State. So by oh a God. whopping one vote, more people think that Michigan will score 50 points on Rutgers more people think that than they think against Middle Tennessee State. How sad is that for Rutgers? I, I hope there's one Rutgers fan just like screaming <laughs> into Wait, I don't even know into I, anything. I hope th- I hope there's one Rutgers fan. Period. <laughs> end of, end of the sentence right there. <laughs> Dude, I went to the Rutgers game last year. They uh, in in Piscataway. Yeah, it was tough to get tickets. They were trying to not sell to Michigan fans. They were like, don't oh. don't sell it to them. That's <laughs> so sad. What a miserable game that Fence was. Fence so. the garden. Fence the yeah. garden. Um, okay, out of... Wh- what is the third leading vote-getter for which team will score... will have 50 scored against them, against Michigan? Yeah, I think this one's easy. It's got to be Illinois, Illinois, number three. Yep, yep. Do you want to guess number four? Ooh, this is going to be the toughest one. So, Maryland? So, 
Yeah, Maryland. Maryland okay. beats out Army, Indiana, Ohio State, et cetera, et cetera. And yep. between Army and Indiana, do you want to guess who got more votes? Indiana? Indiana's got 11 votes for 50 points or more. Army has nine. Yeah. So ding, ding, ding. More people said Ohio State factoid, random factoids. More people said Michigan will score 50 points against Ohio State than against Penn State or Iowa. Wow. Yep. I think that's just like an angry click. Like, we're going to do it. <laughs> that's, a, that's a middle fingers in the air, right? Yep. <laughs> and then a whopping 1% of people, less than 1%, 0.5% of people, one vote for Michigan will not score 50 points against anyone this year. Oof. Um, so screw you too, whoever you are. <laughs> uh, State fan who's definitely not listening to this podcast right now. Yes. So that's okay. It's the Rutgers fan. That's right. It's the Rutgers fan. Okay. Quick tiebreakers, then we'll wrap this thing up. Tiebreaker number one, how many points per game will Michigan average in 2019? Um, there is a solid range of of points. Do you want to guess? Okay, so so exactly four people have voted for one specific score on the bottom end and one have voted for four exactly on the high end. Do you want to guess what the, the low end of points per game was? Hmm... 31. No. Four people have voted for exactly 38 points per game. That's the low end? Well, that's the low end for four votes. Oh, my God. The absolute low was 28.4. Okay. Even that, man. That that one person said under 30, and that was 28.4. Yeah. We had quite a few votes for in between 30 and 36. But, but... The primary median average, the low end of the median range was 38, and the high end of the median was... 45, I'm guessing. 42. Okay. 42, which is close. Four people said 42 so far. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, we've actually... Actually, 45 was literally the highest. One person voted 45. Was that you, Stephen? No. No, I was like drastically lower. Exactly one person voted for 45 so far, and that is the very highest highest at the end. Um, everyone, like, bell curve, if you're looking at the bell curve, the absolute peak was between 38 and 42. Not even close. Yeah. The, the absolute, which makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah, that feels right. Okay, so question we're going to end on here. How many points will Michigan score against Ohio State in 2019? The highest vote getter, the most, the most votes, for this point, against Ohio State. What, what is that point? How many points is Michigan going to score against Ohio State this year? Forty-two. Forty-two came in second place. Oh, okay. Second place with eleven percent of the vote. T- actually, tied with 30, 38 and forty-two each got eleven percent of the vote. The lead with, uh, let's see. 16% of the vote was 45, 35 points, 35, okay. 35, eh, five yeah. touchdowns. We better score more than that. Beat Ohio state if last year. I so know any negative. And then we have the, um, two people actually voted for 24, which is the low point so far. And then one person put 99. We love you. <laughs> we love you too. Yeah. Fuck Ohio State. That might be the first curse word we've said on this podcast. We'll keep that under wraps so we can still keep our clean record on iTunes. Yeah. 
99 was was the one was the one vote there i appreciate it i appreciate it i i will do some some crazy things if if that comes true <laughs> I, yes <laughs> I, <laughs> I i yes i let me not make a fool of myself yeah but if that ever happened i will oh i will i will ruin everything for 99 points because ohio state <laughs> i'll risk it all as they like to say <laughs> all right Steven, we are we are doing well tonight. We're at 105. Oh man. This is good. I th- I think long podcasts are good. That's that's my theory at least. I just got to keep the important stuff at the front, which I think we did. Yeah. yeah. If we bore you with the spreadsheet, we bore you with the spreadsheet. <laughs> um, but they're Michigan fans after all. So chances are spreadsheets are the most interesting part of their day. Steven, do you have anything else you'd like to close with before we finish off? I don't think so, man. When are we doing the next one? Looking forward to it. Defensive predictions are going to be next Monday. Next Monday's podcast. People can vote on them on, on Twitter, on Facebook, on mgofish.com. Defensive side of the ball next week. And I think we're actually going to do this, maybe, Stephen, every week. You know, me, starting with the season, we're going to do weekly predictions. I think these are fun. These are good. Uh, yeah. Nothing bad with them, at least. Right. So they're fun, at the very least. I'm with you. All right, Stephen. Find you on Twitter at? Stephen Toski. Stephen Toski. Not Austin Toski, just Stephen Toski. It's such a long name, man. He got he got to shorten it somehow, you know? Uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure people would have guessed you might have shortened Stephen before Austin Toski. That's all right. Fair. That's all right. Stephen Toski, <laughs> he's there, the hype man, the the video guy. You got anything coming up video works-wise? Oh yeah, man! I've been working on on year five, my yearly uh, my yearly hype video before the season. So I've been working on that for at least a couple weeks here. Um, hopefully, uh, we'll get a better better sense of when I'll be releasing it in the next uh, next couple days. But uh, but stay tuned. It'll it'll be closer to the game uh, before that's released. But it's a uh, it's coming together really nicely. I like where it's at. And when he says the game, he does not mean in November. No, no, no. The, the, start of the season. season opening game. That's right. <laughs> Before that, right? Okay. Sounds good, Stephen. Sounds good. He's a guy, you know, he's a great analyst as well. He's he's working his way in there when it, when it comes to the recruiting uh, analyst position, when it comes to the game-by-game breakdown of film. Stephen's got it. He just understands it. So, so definitely look out for those videos as well. Uh, guys, you can follow me at David Arnold, M-I, David Arnold, no, Michigan abbreviated, um, if you need any help there. Uh, I'm really boring. I'm not I'm not quite the follow Stephen is. Gotta say that. Uh, you know, Stephen, we didn't even touch on the helmet controversy. Maybe next oh time. Gosh. Maybe we'll yeah, just we'll let that slide. Time. Maybe we'll let that slide. Who really cares? I, I'm sure actually everyone cares, for that matter. But David Arnold, M-I, Stephen Toski, uh, and then follow Garrett Fishall. The creator of mgofish.com at mgofish. If you don't already, visit his website. Uh, do him some help. Visit the website. It helps all of us out. Uh, you can follow us also, follow us on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts slash Spotify slash Stitcher, whatever you want to do. We've got 23 reviews so far. Uh, give us some five-star reviews. We could use it. We could really use it. Uh, please, we could use it. Uh, for that, Stephen, uh, let's call it night. Go Blue. <laughs>